No cold showers, no black coffee, no keto diet, no red pill, no nothing. My suffering that I was dealing with, and lots of you guys are dealing with, was gone symbolically through examining the personal myth. And the way in, the riddle, was Dante's Inferno. The psyche attracted me to that story as the solution to what I was missing, what I was projecting onto other people. That reconnected me back to my through line. And it's like the fog has lifted, at last I see the light. No amount of self-improvement from any guru is ever gonna get you over that. None, because they do not know what they're talking about. What was my shadow through all of this? My own potential? Or maybe, maybe suffering it? No, end of, done. You deserve to be happy. I'm not the same person that I always was. Now, there have been several events over the course of my life, as I'm sure it's exactly the same with you, where you can look at yourself before and after and say, they're two totally different people. Because things happen within or outside of us that cause us to change who we are and we develop. And perhaps those developments can be maladaptive in certain ways, and sometimes they're for the better. But overall, we do change as we grow older. And I'm only 23 years old. I'm quite young. You know, what the hell do I know? But at the same time, I do think I know what I'm talking about when it comes to the subject of this video, when it comes to what makes a human being happy, when it comes to how you're meant to develop as a human being, when it comes to what the shadow is, when it comes to relating to other people, when it comes to slicing through bullshit that would otherwise hold you back. Because I've been through many, many traps and I was suffering for a very long time and nothing actually helped me until I actually boiled down into what the real tools are that can help you. Because if you're suffering, it's not a nice place to be. No matter what other people tell you, no matter what the prophets of suffering in today's culture say, life is meant to be painful or we just bear our cross. It's like absolutely wrong, flat out wrong. Human beings are animals like all the other animals. Dogs are not unhappy, lions are not unhappy. Why should human beings be any different? And so you deserve to be happy. And I deserve to be happy too. And so I'd like to explain over the course of this video how I got to be happy and happier most certainly than I was last year. I'd like to begin though with a crusade, ladies and gentlemen, against gurus and gurudom. Because I was saying about these events that change you before and after. Well, I had one of those and it was two days before my 18th birthday when my girlfriend at the time dumped me, very sad, but dumped me for my best friend. And then all of my other friends sided with them. There was no sensitivity about it. It was all let's sing Kumbaya. And this hurt me a lot and ended up getting quite depressed about it for like six months to a year. Wasn't very happy. But what happened as a result of this was I decided to go back inside of myself. I went to a little chrysalis phase and I went and was like, who am I? Who is James? What is a man? How do I become a man? What is masculinity? Who should I forge myself to be? And I'm sure lots of you have been in that same situation. And that's why gurus and people who spout information about character change, etc., on the internet are so popular, so incredibly popular. You know, info products, for example, in terms of personality and character and everything else, very, very, very popular. Billions of dollar market. And you know, the reason for this, well, primarily it's men, but of course it is women as well but it's because there's a lack of confirmation of men as men unconditionally within themselves. It's a self-acceptance thing. And it's either by their fathers, by society, or indeed by themselves. Now, I discovered this whole 
camp of gurus. You know, there are loads of them, and I'm not trying to start a firestorm, of course. But I came across these ideas of, well, the red pill, for example. This is how you must act so that women respect you. That's one thing. NoFap is another thing. A man must go on NoFap, right? Uh, ketogenic diets. Um, you've got to get up at 4.30 in the morning. Cold showers. Black coffees. Loads and loads and loads of things. And people follow these like cults. And it's like men must do this or women must do this. And it becomes prescriptive and it becomes top down. Basically, I'm not good enough as I am. So I need to find something which somebody else has, sometimes in exchange for money, so that I can make myself a better person. I was in this for five years or so. And uh, it didn't work. And this is what I care about when it comes to actually making yourself suffer less and happier is does it work? And the answer to all the gurus I've ever come across is no. And it's up to you how you want to define guru. I'm deliberately not gonna do so. Again, it just causes awkwardness. But no, it doesn't work. So what does work? Well, we've known since the dawn of time how things work, how a human being is meant to develop, like any other animal, right? And we've known for the last 150 years of psychology, in writing, in the scientific literature, confirmed how human beings are meant to develop. It's not a particularly difficult thing to wrap your head around. It's very, very intuitive. And you might not know it off the top of your head, but when someone tells you, it's like, oh, of course that's right. Of course it is. So if you consider a hand, you know, it, it, it starts life as a single cell. And then over time, it will develop, it will multiply, become more cells until it becomes a whole hand. Now, everyone's hands are slightly different to each other's, but they're still the same pattern of a hand. And it's the same thing with a human being. It's the same thing with the lifespan of a human being. We all develop in the same way, or at least we should do if we want to be healthy. When a child is born, it's raised primarily by its parents, of course, or a primary caregiver, something like that, which imprints onto them. It prints onto their psyche or their psychobiology. Usually it's a mum and a dad. And when somebody grows up and needs to become an adult, they need to be confirmed in their masculinity or in their femininity by their parents. And then they have to move away from them. So it's no longer I am son of X or daughter of Y. It is I am me, completely independent to my parents. It doesn't mean break away or anything like that. It doesn't mean be unpleasant, but it means standing on your own two feet. It means getting a flag and planting it in the ground and going, this is me, essentially. And then after that, what people need to do, they need to cement themselves in a peer group. They need to get themselves a, a, a tribe of brilliant people around them, you know, in whatever form, career, friends, a social network, because we're social people. And then you went to go out and find yourself a partner, which is a contentious thing to say in the modern world. Never mind. It's built into us for men to reproduce. And all of this is anticipated biologically. And we like to call it at the archetypal layer. But in Jung to Live By, we prefer to think of it as the instinctual layer, because all of these things are right down at the level of instinct. And we know this because if you fight it, or if you've been knocked off the path of that development, you get what's called a neurosis, a split, or potentially something more serious. And one of the most common things I've come across with people in my own life and with people I've been consulting with over, over on the Young to Live By Patreon page is essentially individuation-based neuroses. It's a disruption to that particular pattern. Either someone's not left the mother or not left the father or they've had some kind of trauma or something that's just stopped them moving forward. That's how people get happier. That's how people stop suffering, at least internally. Anxiety, depression, outside of genetic conditions, usually... This is where these things come from. So I was stuck in this camp of 
not being myself, of not being developed. And I was trapped and was treading water by all these ideas and all these gurus and everything else around me. I had all these strange ideas that I had to be something, you know, create myself into a great man or something like that. There's nothing wrong with being a great man. Of course, great men shape history, but that's a prescriptive thing and it's top down. It's not bottom up. And that's the point of this approach. It needs to come from within and emerge. You can't just put something down on top of you. So this all culminated in, as I've explained in that, how Jung saved me from Dante's Hell video, this all culminated in me being dissociated, both in my head and indeed my sight. I was depressed. Uh, my, my relationship was suffering. My work was suffering. I was becoming more and more inflated. And I just wasn't a very happy person. And I was pseudo-alcoholic. I'd be drinking up to eight beers a night every single day. It's like, I'm a young, I was 23, 23 years old, doing all these things. It's like, is this normal? Is this happy? Is this healthy? No, something had to change, of course. And so the tools that help me change are the tools which we talk about on this channel. You know, what is the shadow really? What is the anima really? What is the purpose of a human being's life? So I was suffering from an individuation neurosis, just like these other guys I've been talking about. A standard thing, I was knocked off my particular path to go forward into the future. And so what precisely was the problem? Because I've been asked this before, and it's probably very useful to you guys. And it was tackled at the psychological layer, and it was tackled at the biological layer too. Now I'll start with the biological layer first, because potentially the most life-threatening, potentially the most dangerous, and it's one which really makes a noticeable difference. It's kind of like step one, if you want to do any kind of proper work on yourself. Now, we released recently the Charing Cross Method, and I was very passionate about getting this out because it really helped me. Steve and Pauline came along very synchronously, having worked on this thing for many, many, many years, having worked on respiratory psychophysiology and capnography, and they understood hyperventilation and everything else, and they spotted the signs in me immediately. And I went on to the capnograph, I'll put a picture on the screen here, and the machine started bleeping and bleeping and bleeping and bleeping, which meant that I was in trouble. I was not in an optimal physical state. So what was happening? Well, I'd got myself so stressed, essentially, and stress can be physical and stress can be psychological. So it can be you're under significant work-based stress, for example, which is sort of people's go-to, or it can be beating yourself up from within or your complexes beating yourself up from within. It doesn't necessarily come from you. And so I started this, this Sabres process that's described within the Charing Cross method, and it helped me get into a state where I was actually able to function normally as a human being. Step one of Sabres to give the game away is sleep, but it's more complicated than that. If you haven't got your biological metrics in order, then you're in trouble. And so I got myself stressed and I started hyperventilating. And so the idea with the hyperventilation, as we've discussed in a previous video, is that it is a state-dependent complex that starts breathing you. So you get yourself into the state initially because of stress or something else, but then it, it changes your blood pH. As you breathe off too much CO2, your blood goes to alkaline. An alkaline blood called alkalosis is a state in which these complexes can come and take control of you essentially, literally breathe you. And the idea before and after me getting over this particular complex was my chest, it was tight. My shoulders, they were up. My jaw, it was tight. It, it, was, it was manifesting in the body. I'm sure lots of you guys know, if you're into bioenergetics, how these things, at least on a more colloquial level, can manifest. And it was normal. So I didn't control my breathing. Something else did. And so by working on myself on the biological layer, by getting myself the rest and lots of other things indeed that, uh, th that I needed, that helped me tackle this thing. So that's the first thing, biology. I actually got myself, at the age of 23, 
into a state that was clinically dangerous based on chasing all these gurus, based on a masculine work ethic. I must do this and I must do this and I must do this. Because you can imagine, you can really break your life down like this. You wake up and if you're not comfortable with yourself, if you can't stand on your own two feet, the stress is gonna come in immediately. It's gonna launch you out of bed. It's gonna get you to pick up your phones and get you to browse loads of things. I've gotta have my audio books in and reading these and doing that and this, 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 this. It's like, well, I'm, uh, oh man, I didn't approach this, this particular girl or oh, I didn't have enough frame with this guy or some other kind of nonsense. So it's constant, it's a, it's a chronic level of stress that you probably get used to, but it's not normal because when you're out of that state, when you're properly individuating, the, the biomarker of that is you feel internally free from internal and external obligations. Controlling for responsibility, you feel free. And if you're not feeling free right now because of these other voices in your head and these compulsions to do all these kind of things, which so many of you guys are, you, I see the DMs, I see the emails, it's nonstop. Loads of you guys are trapped in this. Well, it comes from not being yourself at the end of the day. And so you can tackle these things, first of all, at the biological layer, that's what I did. But of course, you can also tackle it at the psychological layer too. The psychological layer for myself, and this is obviously saying very personal things onto the internet, it was quite a, a difficult process, but it became an exponential learning curve after a while, or even a vertical learning curve because I had to come to terms with the situation that I found myself in. And I was like, well, why am I drinking so much? Why am I anxious? Why am I depressed? That's the key question. Not, I have depression and I should manage it. Absolutely not. Unless it's clinical depression, unless it's an actual genetic condition based purely within biology. But for me, it was, well, maybe I shouldn't be managing these things. Maybe I shouldn't accept my suffering. Maybe what I should do is look to see where these things came from. And this is where the idea of the personal myth comes in very, very useful, par excellence for usefulness. We'll be releasing a guide on the personal myth very, very soon with an accompanying series of videos because it's so important and it will basically allow you to copy what I did essentially, walk on the parallel path with myself and indeed the patients which Steve and Pauline have treated over the course of their entire careers. And it begins with your earliest memories and it ends with where you are now and it's a through line of all of your memories that you can remember and who am I? What is my character like? What can I not let go of without losing a part of myself, truly. And when you come to do it, it's not a pleasant experience, really, because it's not stepping into some kind of myth. First of all, you have to let go of the collective myths we're attached to. It could be as simple as, you know, the standard guy in a generation older than me who loves Star Wars a bit too much and has to break away from obsession with Han Solo, all the way through to the myths that we're seeing in the modern world now. Even biblical myths, religious myths, things like that. I'm sorry to say, guys, if you're religious, no problem at all, more power to you, but it's not your story. Your story is your story. And when you start to look at your own story, you'll realize there are lots of mistakes and neuroses and maladaptations and all kinds of things. And you'll realize some of the things that you were doing over time were not you. This is the key point of the personal myth, at least from my perspective, is you, you, you take into account of things which weren't truly you, then you can scrape them away. It's this burning off dead wood idea, but practical in your own past, in your own autobiography that's come up. So once you start stripping those things away, you realize that lots of the voices in your head are not your own. And first of all, I discovered that this breakup with my ex-girlfriend when I was 18, I discussed at the beginning of this video, was indeed a trauma for me. I mean that sincerely, in its clinical definition, it caused me sufficient psychological harm to create a change within me. And some of those changes were defensive mechanisms based within the trauma. I adapted to the trauma rather than get over the trauma, if you kind of see what I mean. 
And so if you guys are interested in why I made that Dante's Inferno series, this is why. Because Dante created the Inferno, which was his own personal myth, and it's held up as a great piece of work for two reasons. One, because it is beautifully written. It is great. Like, completely honest with you. Like, I still read this thing every now and again, and I'm like, it's just a very, very talented man. A brilliant man. But it's a story that repeats itself over mankind's history. And so people picked up on it. And there's been all kinds of strange ways to try and explain the Inferno since it was written. Even up to the highest critics in the world at the moment, trying to explain how Dante got away with this in the context of Christianity. How Beatrice, a, a normal woman, was elevated up to that high status. And the reason is, it was Dante's attempt, without knowing it, and he failed doing it, to figure out what he had projected onto Beatrice. That's the depth psychology take of it. It's not a great masterwork in terms of Christian morality, and you're staring into the shadow of mankind. Nonsense. You're staring into the shadow of Dante, and into the shadow of Christianity. Like, it's, it's the whole archetype story, if you want, the whole situation, is Dante projected onto Beatrice, and then in an attempt to try and resolve that, to take that energy back and unlock his own positive anima within himself, he failed doing that. And so he tried to write the Inferno as a way of making up for it. And indeed, based in kind of a crude revenge form of status, and the autobiographies are clear on this, he tried to become the greatest poet ever. Now, I fell into this trap too. I decided I wanted to be the greatest scientist ever, first of all. I wanted to be this great man. It was like a venge quest and whatever else. But my energy was ducting off in so many different inappropriate places. My positive anima was not activated. And so what I was trying to do with all these gurus and everything else was exactly the same thing as Dante. His version of the Inferno was me basically paying for my wedding, which is a very expensive thing. Since cancelled it, by the way, because the amount of pain that was within that, still getting married, still getting married, but the symbolism around it has died. There's no more weight there for me, which is a sign that things have changed and certainly for the better. But my quest, like Dante's quest, was to pay for my, to pay for my wedding and to do what all these gurus say and become someone who I wasn't meant to be, when really what I wanted was Beatrice. And I mean that symbolically. Really what I wanted was my positive anima. I wanted my own creativity. And I'd projected it onto this girl in the past and lots of it was still ducting off autobiographically towards this girl. No conscious attachment to it whatsoever, but it was ducting off over there. And through the personal myth work, that's when I came to realise what was going on. And indeed, through that, through the character called Saint Lucy, within the Inferno, she's in Canto 2, she's mentioned once, and no one knows why she's in this particular book. Like, no one knew about Saint Lucy popularly in the culture until Dante wrote about her. She was martyred 1,000 years before Dante. It's like, well, who is this Saint Lucy girl? And she was definitely important to me, and I didn't know it. And the reason is, she's the patron saint of eyesight. There's a famous picture I put on the screen. Kind of a creepy picture. It always mesmerised me. But she was the patron saint of eyesight. And my sight had dissociated for about six months. And I couldn't really see anywhere I was going. It was blurry, it was foggy, something was wrong. I couldn't see what was right in front of me. And so the part of the inferno that I was resonating with, and this was a symbolic riddle thrown up by my own psyche based on this symbolic conversion into my own symptoms, was this Saint Lucy character, was this Beatrice character. I needed to see things for how they really were. And indeed, there is a song from Tangled, and I'll put, put a little clip of that up on, on the screen. It's called At Last I See the Light. And this is a song that my ex-girlfriend, and indeed my best friend, would sing to each other at lunchtimes, in little classrooms, 
while I was still dating her. And I didn't like this song ever since. I couldn't like it. You know, it's like, it's their song. It's their song. And, you know, I, 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 I stepped outside when I was deciphering all this stuff. And I looked up at, at, at the sun, at the sky. And I said, you know, at last I see the light. It's like the fog has lifted. It just came to me out of nowhere. Bang! Sight came back. What the hell? No cold showers. No black coffee. No keto diet. No red pill. No nothing. My suffering that I was dealing with, and lots of you guys are dealing with, was gone symbolically through examining the personal myth. And the way in, the riddle, was Dante's Inferno. The psyche attracted me to that story as the solution to what I was missing, what I was projecting onto other people. That reconnected me back to my through line. And it's like the fog has lifted. At last I see the light. Very strange how these things work, but more so than strange, wonderful for me that this is how these things worked. Because, well, and this is why I thank Stephen Pauline, and this is why I'm working with them, of course. This is why I trust them, and it's why I believe them. Because it works. And it's their guidance that got me through stuff like this. And I have many, many more stories to tell on that, of course. But this is real Jungian psychology. Real. And it involves you at the nexus point of your own through line. It is not an archetypal fantasy. It is not Ion. It is not the Red Book. It is not great collective myths. None of it. It's you at the centre of your personal myth. That is the most important thing. Now, it'll be the same thing for a lot of you guys, honestly. Indeed, the places to look, for example, would be your mother, your father, everything else. Standard stuff in psychology that you've interjected on the inside. And if you go through the personal myth, you'll see where these different things came from. It's like you present with a symptom to yourself, like a perceived rejection from other people before I've actually spoken to them. Why? Where did it start? Where's it coming from? No amount of self-improvement from any guru is ever going to get you over that. None. Because they do not know what they are talking about. And I'll say that defiantly. They do not know what they are talking about. We know how it works through psychology. We know how it works through real Jungian psychology. But you can go to other places too. We know what makes a human being happy. It has to be the personal myth. So what about everyone's favourite archetype? The shadow. We all talk about the shadow. We all like the shadow. It's one of the most popular algorithm searches for Carl Jung. It's Carl Jung's shadow. And if you Google the shadow, in fact, do this right now or after this video, go onto YouTube and type in Carl Jung Shadow. What you'll find is a whole bunch of videos. This is nothing against the creators and I've not watched anywhere near all of them, but the little scientifically selected sample I did, no idea what they're talking about whatsoever. Anyone who uses shadow work and things as an example, you don't know what you're talking about. It's not a thing. Now, the way people normally do something like shadow work is to be like, oh, well, all the ways in which I'm insecure, all the ways in which I've repressed my personality. I'm an evil person on the inside and I must integrate it to become a monster. Wrong. Completely wrong. I'll tell you why. Me as an example. What was my shadow through all of this? My own potential. That was it. I was unconscious of my own potential and I was suffering from my own potential and it was driving me to do all these strange things. But really, if I turned around, instead of being distracted by other people's shadows and what other people told me about the shadow, I should have just turned around and gone, who am I? That's your shadow. That's your alter ego, as we call it in psychosystems analysis. Not any of the other fluff. This is why I'm on a crusade against gurus. This is why I'm on a crusade against people who purport to know about ideas relating to personality change, relating to how you can make yourself better and all these other things. Because I was stuck and I was suffering and nothing helped me except real 
actual tools that have been clinically battle tested. You've got to be careful where you go to. And this is not me saying Young to Live By is the only place that you can go to for information. But it does mean that we are a place you can go to for information. It has to be. And that's the point of, you know, if you like the dynamic on the channel, you've got Steve and Pauline, of course, who have their 40 plus years of clinical experience. And then you've got me who's developing at the same time. These ideas are battle tested on me. You want to talk about the shadow. And it's like, yeah, my shadow was my potential. And when I realized what my potential was, I got happier again. It's like I'm presenting with clinical symptoms like dissociation and anxiety and depression. How did I get over those? The personal myth. Who are you? Individuation. This is the point. Jung would use this in every single therapeutic scenario, everything. And Jung was first and foremost a clinician. He talked about anamnesis. It's a platonic idea. All knowledge is remembering, which means you have to know who you are historically, autobiographically, and indeed where you are right now, which is called the personal equation in order for you to get better. That's certainly true of relieving suffering. But indeed, if you're not obviously suffering, then you know, you're trying to make yourself better and all these other things become a better man. Chances are you're simply not being yourself. And chances are what you've done is you've had a father transference onto a guru, basically. Because whatever your father didn't confirm in you, for whatever reason, not saying he was a bad dad, you've transferred it onto them. Because the perceived therapeutic relationship, and I mean that colloquially, through the screen, is they are affirming you for you unconditionally. But you're, not, you're still not being you because you're attaching themselves to them. You haven't broken away from the father. You've just gone, Bruh. it's basically infantile behavior. It's clinically infantile behavior. Freud would say this, Jung would say this. All the great masters would say this. So it's like, I'm gonna make myself better. The only way to do so, the only way categorically is to become comfortable and secure in yourself and your own genomic potential. And it's the only way. And no amount of archetypal fantasies, no amount of gurus, no amount of nothing, Will help you. I say these things because I know who I am, sincerely. Now I'm not completely conscious of myself because that would be the end point of individuation, which no one ever reaches. But the amount of progress I've made in the last few months has been exponential or vertical. Over the last few months, I'm now a clinically trained psychotherapist. I am a depth psychologist. I have a diploma in clinical hypnotherapy. And I know that my job, my profession, my calling, my vocation is to help people not suffer. And to help people, like in the Young to Live By tagline, become who they are. It's all I've ever wanted to do. And I didn't realise it because of all the parental introjects, because of all the societal introjects, because of all the fluffery that I was brainwashed with by people on the internet looking for viewers and looking for profits. But when I got rid of those things, I realised actually all along, what I meant to do is help people not suffer and become who they are. And this is a calling to you guys to do the same thing. It's a calling to take back control, not give it to me through views and money and anything else, but to take back control to yourselves because that's real lasting change. And in our current cultural enantiodromia that we are going through or about to go through, this is the type of thing we need to do is we need to be secure in us because if we're not secure in us, you know, as Jung said, we don't have ideas. Ideas have people. And if we're not sure about who we are, we're not just damaging ourselves, but we're contributing to the decline of the culture. Essentially, it's a case of drawing boundaries around yourself and everybody else. And I don't mean in a hard, cruel way. I mean in a, there is a me, there is a me, and the me deserves to be happy. No strings attached, none. No philosophical arguments need to be made about this. Or maybe, maybe suffering it, no, end of, done. You deserve to be happy. We know this biologically, culturally, every layer of analysis. 
and you deserve to be yourself and you deserve to bring your own gifts to the world. You deserve to stand on your own two feet, find yourself a partner, have children, do what you want to do, not what other people tell you to do. And it sounds like school, you know, schoolyard advice. I'm talking on the deep depth psychology layer, the complexes, all the ideas you've picked up, the things from your parents. You need to get rid of those. It starts with the personal myth and then you can become who you are. And sincerely, that would be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Thank you.